Well, good morning. Welcome back. We're so glad to see you. I want to welcome all of our first-time guests again. Let's give it up one more time for all the people in, are visiting with us today. Um, I want to welcome all of our online audience. You've caught us in a series we're doing called Perfect. This is week three. We'll give you the quick recap of week one and two, and then we've got to dive right in. Got a lot of stuff to cover this morning. Uh, the first week, we talked about how God calls the imperfect people to follow him and how he used people like Matthew, the tax collector, people that were really shunned uh, by society, and he used them to um, get his message out, um, to just really reach so many people. As a matter of fact, he called them to be in his inner circle. And then last week, we took a look at the scripture, and uh, we saw how we as people compare ourselves to others to either A, make us feel better, um, or we look at them and see how they have more stuff than us, as you can see kind of on the video here. Well, this morning, I want us to uh, take a little bit step further, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is just really challenging, uh, inspiring, and uh, somewhat convicting. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to go ahead and get you there so we don't waste any time. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 43. But I want to start out with a little bit of a confession while you're there. Um, my confession is I'm not very good at following instructions, um, so I'll just be a little bit uh, honest and transparent here this morning for you. Um, when it comes to putting stuff together, uh, I am that guy that uh, does not open the instruction manual, okay, until I'm too far in and then have to deassemble, all right, and regroup. Um, so if there's a loophole, an easier way, something that I can do to make it go by quicker, and uh, it takes too long to read, so I just try to figure it out on my own, which leads to um, a lot of uh, heartache and headache. So um, I like to be the guy that takes the book and just leave it out beside, uh, still in the packages. These were, um, by my wife, she told me, if you lose these, I will hurt you. So um, here are a couple of, of manuals that... Um, we have uh, our house, those of you that ever heard of the, the furniture company called Ikea. Anybody ever heard of Ikea? It's a, um, you assemble the furniture, it's cheaper, and you go there to the store. It's like a warehouse. It all comes flat packed, and you put it together. So there's your saving of money. And they give you all these books. And so our house looks like Ikea threw up in it. Um, literally, every, even our daughter's bedroom, our bedroom, our living room, everything is um, Ikea. And so... I like uh, doing that sometimes. I, I, every time I start doing it, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. And then somehow end up, we go back to Ikea and I buy more stuff. So I have this problem and I'm going to just be really, again, we're being totally transparent. These are parts left over. <laughs> Can we get a close-up shot of, uh, of this? I think there's uh, some wheels in there, a lot of screws. Um, brackets and bolts, I'm sure, are supposed to hold stuff together. And, um, you know, some stuff to, like, keep your furniture, uh, your floor from being scuffed up. And um, that's why. Um, so uh, I have this problem of uh, having parts left over. Anybody else? Or am I the only one in here today? I'm the only one being honest today. Um, you know, whether it's putting together uh, toys at Christmas time or a fire pit or stuff, I just, I want to find the easy way out, right? I, I, so I don't look at the instruction book. Um, my mom is a great cook, and so when I went to college, she uh, gave me a couple of recipes that I could use. And one of those, my favorite, is monkey bread. I don't know if you've ever had that. 
and it's so healthy for you. Um, and you laugh because you know exactly what it is. Basically, you take the, the uh, biscuits, like the Pillsbury kind, you cut them into fourths, right? You take a cup of sugar, a cup of brown sugar and cinnamon, you put it in a bag, right? And then you take the, the balls of the uh, biscuits and you shake it up and cover it in there real good. Then you melt, uh, actually you melt the brown sugar and the butter. You take a whole stick of butter because that's good for you. You take a whole stick of butter, you put it in there, and then you pour it on top. You put it in a bunt pan, which is the, has the hole in the center, and you put it in there for 20 minutes and it comes out. It is mwah, delicious. So uh, that was one of the ones that I put into my repertoire and I like to use, well, um, there's some instructions and you should follow those instructions because they have perfected it. They know what it's supposed to take and so forth. So I decided that I was going to make monkey bread one day. My roommates had never had it. It was a good idea. And, um, you know, got looking at the instructions that I had and realized, you know, um, go by the instruction. I'm going to make it better. So... A stick of butter, I say a stick and a half of butter. That's, that's where we're going. You say a cup of sugar, I say we do two. And so we just, we were making it good. We're college students, right? You know, we've already gained our freshman 15 and we're pour, you know, pouring it in there and we get all the things. And it says, you know, you have to have a bunt pan and that's strategic because, you know, it bakes all around the outer edges and on top. And that's, there's a purpose for having the bunt pan. There's also a purpose for using a stick of butter because the more you add, the more substance it has and so forth. So, um, I was like, I don't have that. So I just used like one of those little flat pans. It'll be all right, you know. So I, I just kind of glob it on top, you know, don't have the bunt pan, pour the concoction on top. And I was like, oh, it's going to be so good. And it's already to the edges of the pan, like just the butter. So I put it on there at 350 and you put it in for 20 minutes. And I decided I could take a shower in 20 minutes not have to stay in the kitchen so no joke true story I'm not making this up I'm in there and about you know 10 minutes later I hear the door banging on the kitchen's on fire I'm leaving it's me and my roommate Chris and I'm like wait a second what he said I'm serious there's flames coming out of the oven I'm out of here so I throw a towel and I run down the side and there is smoke and it is just billowing out and it gets better. And so I'm like, what are we going to do, Chris? And so we look and what happened was I added so much. I didn't follow the directions. I added so much butter, so much stuff that it had overflown and had caught on fire on the elements underneath. So we didn't have a fire extinguisher. There is already like blackness on the back wall where it is just pouring out. And I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? And I go, I know. Give me a big cup of water. <laughs> now, y'all laugh because you know what happens. But I thought through this, guys. I'm serious. I thought through this. So what I did was I got, I pulled, and when you add firefighters, when you add, you know, oxygen or air to the fire, what does it do, right? So I pull it out, and it scares me because it comes out, and so I shut it again, and I'm like, oh, we're going to have to do this fast. And I've got one of those, like, 32-ounce cups, and my roommate is there. He's like, we're going to have to call the fire department, you know, just had it. And I was like, all right, you ready? You open it, and I'm throwing the water. And he goes to pull it, and I'm getting ready. He goes, wait, 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 wait. You're not supposed to throw water on a grease fire. Smart me. It's not grease. That's butter. 
Apparently, I'm very convincing because he goes, you got a point. <laughs> so he pulls the thing down. I throw the water. There is a more of an explosion than it was. And I just, I really, I panicked at that moment. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, we are going to be the people on the street that the fire department comes and just, oh. and he's like, why don't, why don't you just cut the oven off? Just leave the door shut. I mean, it's metal, right? It's not going to. And so I was like, like, we don't have anything else to try. And so we do it, and it works. Like, it eventually, it just, you know, burns out. We're sweating, you know, and I, I literally, I was scared. And so, you know, a lot of times when we don't follow directions, we can get ourselves in trouble, can't we? I mean, maybe you have had a situation like that, maybe not as extreme, but you don't follow instructions, you can end up in a predicament or a mess. Now, we laugh about that. Some of y'all are the total opposite. Like you're the OCD like to the T. Like you cannot have even a little bit of a margin. When it comes to making a cup of flour or sugar, ladies, I mean, you literally, you scrape it, make sure there can't be any grains of sugar or salt hanging over, right? And then you put it in. Things like a dash of salt, that, that throws you off because you're like, I don't want to put too much or too less. Like what's a dash, you know? You can Google it, find out what a dash of salt is. You know, guys, like, you know, when it says torque, your, you know, the bolt to, you know, 15 or 20 pounds, like, you're not me. I just tighten it. Yeah, that's good. You know, you're like, I got to get a torque wrench, you know, buy some tools. You just want to make sure that it, it is perfect. Like, some of you have it figured out to the exact T what your coffee should be. Exactly four packs of sugars and one cream. And you get it the same because, you know, you're just that routine. Things like these bowls on the stage, you know, they might bother you because you're OCD, like one of them's off. Like you, now you'll just be staring for the rest of the service <laughs> at the one that's off. And, um, and so, you know, that's the opposite in the instruction. But, but here's the thing. There's something satisfying for us. There's something fulfilling for us when we complete a task, right? When we can check it off, when there's a goal that we can, you know, we, we accomplish, there's just something fulfilling and completing something. I mean, as, as a kid in school, you remember typing the last word of the last paragraph on the last page? I mean, there's just that, ah, oh, it's done. You know, that paper is done. You know, that's so fulfilling. Our kid, you know, putting the last puzzle piece together and you get to see what you accomplished. Um, you know, cooking when the meal is done, when the, the buzzer goes ding. I don't normally make it to the ding because I more normally mess it up. But you know what I'm saying? When it goes ding, it's like, oh, it's done. It's finished. You're, when your Christmas shopping is done, there's just something fulfilling, right, about accomplishing a goal or a task. So we all, we all love this feeling. Now, it don't always go according to plan, right? There's sometimes some hiccups, some bruises, some bumps along the way. Sometimes we might get hurt. But once it's complete, it was worth it most of the time. So it's easy for us to follow directions in some areas, but it's hard and difficult for us to follow directions in other areas. Like we'll, sometimes we'll create our own set of guidelines. Like we know what we should do, Yet we do the, the, the exact opposite. And, and remember Paul talks about that. He said, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And that's, that's me. That's you. That's all of us. We've been there before. Because nobody does this. 
I mean, I don't think anybody just intentionally does this when it comes to the physical, like a piano recital. Take that for example. Right? You have the sheet music laid out. The, the instructions, the goal is to hit all the notes on the paper correctly. And so you go through and you play. And I mean, nobody sits down at piano recital and go, oh, let me see how many of them I can miss in a row. Like this will really get their attention. Now you may have been to that recital that sounded like that before. But that's not the goal, right? That's not the goal. You have, uh, you know, when you play golf, the goal, the objective is to hit it close to the pin. I mean, you don't just step up and go, you know what? They say we're hitting it to the pin. I say we're going in the water today. You know, you don't, you don't step up and do that. You've been bowling. The object is to hit the 10 pins down and you get two throws to do it. You don't just step up there with the ball and go, they say we're going for 10. I say I'm going two lanes over and knock that guy's pins down. But we do that in our lives, right? I mean, think about it. We know what we should do. We know what the instructions are. We know what God's word says, but we're like, yeah, I'm going my own way on this one. I'm not gonna listen. I'm not gonna be obedient. I'm not gonna do what his word says. And so we make a wrong choice. So today in our last week of perfect, I'm, we're gonna look at one of, I believe, the, one of the hardest scriptures that's ever been read or, or written and um, if, if it's taken at face value, it's like there's no hope. And so let's, let's go uh, to Matthew 5, um, verse 43 is where we're going to start through 48 this morning. Uh, so what's happened up to this point, I love how the Sermon on the Mount starts. It says Jesus saw the crowds coming, right? And most people are attracted to crowds. At this point, Jesus needed a break. And so he, he actually leaves the crowds, he goes up onto the mountains, and he begins to teach the disciples. And he talks about adultery, and he talks about murder, and he talks about being salt and light, and all these different things. And then we get to verse 43, and here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now this is a reference back to the Old Testament, all through Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Some passages of scriptures that say, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor and you're supposed to hate your enemy. So what he's saying is, we're supposed to love the people that live beside us and hate the Taliban. No, right? That's not it at all. He's saying, you, you heard that it said back in the day, it was okay to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, a Jewish by neighbor meant um, country or nation or religion. And as a matter of fact, the law even at that time permitted you because you remember the scriptures, you maybe have heard eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And so you go through all that passage of scripture. It actually means, you know, you could even get even up to what even would be. So you couldn't like, if somebody cut your pinky off, you know, they say, all right, well, you could cut their pinky off. Well, you couldn't cut their whole hand off because you went above and what they did to you. If they, you know, took your eye out and, you know, you couldn't cut their head off because, you know, you went above and So there was some type of justifiable like retaliation here. And so Jesus is saying, you know, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here, but here's what I tell you, verse 40, 44. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may, be um, you may be children of your Father in heaven. So let me get this straight. Like that's real love, real prayers. I'm supposed to love my enemies and I'm supposed to pray for people who hurt me, who harm me, who uh, disown me, people who um, want nothing to do with me, who make fun of me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus doesn't tell us what to pray. Now, you might have done that before, right? You might have prayed for those people that persecute you and they weren't really nice prayers. Lord, I know you're a God of love, but wrath right now, that's what I'm praying for that person, God. Vengeance is mine, Lord. Show your vengeance to them, you know. 
They're not really beneficial. Just take them home, Lord. Just take, you know. And so it doesn't even say specifically what we're supposed to pray, but Jesus says that you're supposed to pray for your enemies. He, talking about God, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, here's the thing. Many Jewish teachers recognize that God was gracious, that he even gave to people who were undeserving. And he, all throughout humanity, um, people who were morally undeserving, God blessed them. I mean, we, that's evident today to us. I mean, think about it. How many people do you know who just have really no morals, no ethics, no standards, and they have money, they have, you know, um, they're, they're just known and maybe through business or something like that. Uh, they have stuff. If we look at celebrities, all the celebrities who are just, you know, furthest thing from being like a, what we would consider a good person. You know, they've got all this luxury and the popularity and stuff. So, you know, there are in materialistic forms, there are blessings in a sense that people who don't even really care anything about God receive. And so then he goes on and says in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I mean, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And we talked about this in week one. The tax collectors, they're the bottom of the sin totem pole. Like it doesn't get any worse than that. But even those people love those who love them. So if you only do that, how are you any different from the tax collectors? What makes your love any different than what would be considered normal? Verse 47, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And, and basically here he's referring to people of the same nationality or people that were just like you. He's saying, look, if you greet the people that are just like you, I mean, what, even the godless, the people who don't even believe in God, they do that. What makes you any different from them? And so then, then here is where the bomb gets dropped on us and the disciples. And when we read this verse, we go, all right. Verse 48, he says, be perfect. This is what he's telling the disciples. They're all sitting around and after he reads all these things, salt and light, adultery, murder, um, he goes through um, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. We're all in trouble. There's no hope. I'd like to invite the prayer team up to come and pray for me right now. Right, I mean, because if we read that verse and go, perfect, what do you mean perfect, right? Like for me, how is that possible? Does Jesus really expect us to be perfect? Because I don't know about you, like I can't even remember to make my bed in the morning. I leave the cap off the toothpaste. I push the toothpaste from the middle and not the bottom. I fall asleep on the couch. Here we go, confessions. And forget to brush my teeth at night. Not every night. I'm supposed to be perfect. I'm supposed to be perfect. And here's the other thing. It doesn't say, if you get a chance, it doesn't say become. The word here is be. Be perfect. Now let's just translate it so we can understand what it's saying. All right. All of you who drive, all right. When there is a 55 mile per hour zone, and you see a 35 mile per hour sign, you need to be going 35 when you get to 35. Especially if there's a cop who's sitting there waiting for you, right? Because if he pulls you, you can't say my car was becoming 35. 
he will respond, you will be coming to court. <laughs> right? So the message is be perfect, not become. Now, uh, let's airport security. I've had quite many, I could share numerous stories, but we'd be here all day. But apparently I look like a terrorist because I get pulled out of line a lot. But have you ever tried to take a firearm on a plane? Ever tried to take a, a knife on a plane, right? I wasn't sure if you were aware, but they're illegal and you can't do it. The law clearly says that you cannot have it. It's not eventually when it's convenient, right? It's not if you get a chance to obey, like you get pulled out of line and they're like, you've got a knife, which happened to us when we went to Colorado and me and my wife were there. They're like, hey, whose bag is this? I'm like, not again. They pull us over there and I'm like, I know I don't have anything. And she's sitting there, she's like, I don't have anything. And we're, you know, we're in talking and she's going through this. And I love how the TSA, they're like so smarter than you are. And, uh, you know, they try to make you feel, you know, stupid. And, and so they're talking kind of down to us and they go, what is this? And they pull out this knife that was in her bag that I had given her, like, you know, it's a black, you know, flip out knife. And I was like, oh, you know, here we are. We're not going to make our flight. But I can't say, you know, I was working on getting rid of that. Right? I mean, I, my plans were we were going to Colorado. I was going to dump it somewhere there. No, it's right now. It's what it's saying. So when we read this, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, what, I mean, what is he really saying? That's what we're going to unpack today. Because our association is this. Perfect is sinless. Perfect is without error or without flaw. And if that's the case, we are all in trouble. So what does he mean? That's our association because we can look at James 2.10 and it says, for whoever shall keep the whole law, yet even at one point offend it, he's guilty of the whole thing. And so if we've just messed up one, we're guilty of all of them. So the, how are we supposed to be perfect? So I thought it would be, you know, kind of neat to look into the, the life um, in, in a day of a perfect person and what that looks like. Y'all wanna do that together? So a perfect person, the alarm clock goes off in the morning, right? And they open their eyes and they're joyful from the very moment their eyes open. Before they even had their coffee or their Starbucks, they're just like, oh, another breath, another day. And then they're like, before I even get out of bed, I just want to read my Bible and I want to pray. I want to do my devotion. And they get up excited and they fix the perfect breakfast, right? And they're careful not to eat too much because that'd be gluttony, right? And so they eat just enough and they get dressed and they drive to work. And on the way to work, they don't get angry at the slow people driving in the fast lane, right? They're just happy. They're listening to the, the positive, good music and they're driving the speed limit because you don't want to be guilty of breaking man's laws. And then on top of that, they get to work on time because they want to be ethical. They want to be, you know, um, a good worker, a good employee, and they're honest. They don't waste company time or resources on things like Facebook. Y'all look so holy like you've never gone on Facebook before at work. And then they don't get mad. They don't curse in their mind. They don't gossip, even in the forms of prayer requests. Guilty. They don't Leave a minute earlier than five because, again, they're paid from nine to five. They want to leave a minute sooner. Still, again, no anger or yelling at drivers who can't drive as good as them. On the way home, they stop, and the guy asking for food, they give him some food. 
They spend time with their family when they get home. They cook another meal and enjoy time together. They don't ever overreact or get angry at their kids and lash out out of their flesh. You know, they're just always positive. They don't covet their neighbor's stuff. They don't ever go, oh, I wish I had that. They make sure they take their Sabbath every single week. They arrive at church on time. For those of you that don't know, that's before the first song starts. (laughs) They honor their mom and dad, even though they might be crazy. They don't lust after another person. They don't tell a lie, even a, a little white lie. They make sure they say their prayers every night and they obey the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then they repeat 364 days of that out of the year. Anybody feel like you can do that? Me either. Because I don't know about you, I failed back when the alarm clock went off. (laughs) So we are not perfect. There is nothing inside inside of us that's natural that's perfect. So what does Jesus mean? So we're going to do a little word study here this morning. Um, The word perfect is the word teleos, which when you translate to the Greek, now you might be saying, hold on a second, I'm having trouble with just the English language. Don't be throwing the Greek yogurt stuff in on me. When you translate the word teleos, it means mature or complete. Now here's what's interesting to know. All throughout scripture, there's many different words used when you see perfect. 17 different scriptures and 19 different times the word perfect that we see in this passage of scripture is used and is used to mean mature and complete. So when we read that, be mature, be complete, just as your Father in heaven is mature and complete. Just like you and I, if I were to say, give me two other examples of the word big, you could say large or huge, or we have in the English language words that mean, like, you know, in a thesaurus, to similar things. And so this word here that we see perfect means to be mature or the idea of being complete. Now it's easy for us to identify immaturity, right? Some of you go like, that's my kids right now. You know, they're just at that age, um, you know, right before they're in the puberty area, they're just, you know, the jokes, everything's funny. It just, you know, you be mature. Why can't you act your age? I'm like nine, mom, you know? So, so we, it's easy for us to identify what immature is and then also incomplete like that was my algebra homework all throughout school incomplete my teacher was gracious though every now and then she'd let us say uh do you have half or all and I might be a couple short of half but I'd say half and hope she didn't check it which is wrong don't ever do that So what does Jesus mean here? What does a mature, a complete person look like? Because all throughout scripture we see Paul, even James, talks about this very idea of us being mature and being perfect. In Colossians chapter one, verse 28, Paul, it says this, he is the one, he's talking about God, that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present every one fully, and the same word, teleos, mature in Christ. He's saying what we do is we proclaim Christ, we talk about him, we uh, admonish him and teach him all these people with wisdom so that, and this is for you, so that when we present you to God, that you are mature, you are complete. Like that's his heart's desire. 
Paul's desire was for people to know Jesus, to know God. He want, I mean, he struggled with this so much. All throughout his letters to the churches, he struggled so much for people who just couldn't get it. Like, why can't you just fall in love with our creator? Why can't you just listen to what his word says? I want you to grow up. We see that all, all throughout scripture. We see Paul just talking to churches. He was like, can't you just get it? Can't you just grow up? I mean, think about like a football coach, right? And coaching his players, like you desire for them to be the best they can possibly be, right? I mean, you just don't want your player to be bad or mediocre. And so you push them, you, you challenge them. You, you go through drills and you tell them, you know, you eat the right things and work out and do all these things because I want you to be the best that you can possibly be. And that's what he said. I want you to be the best Christ follower that you could possibly be. You think about like the 40-yard dash, right? They time them, and so that's a, a statistic that you see all throughout college in the NFL, how fast they can run the 40. And so they train, right? They do these plyometric drills, and they do all these things so that they can possibly get faster, to be as fast as they possibly can. NBA players, whether you're a running back, I mean, they do these things because they want to be faster. And so... Um, you know, that, that looks like working out. That looks like, you know, drinking the right amount of fluids and, and um, you know, taking supplements if that's what it looks like. Because you want your player to be the best that you could possibly be. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be complete. I want you to be mature. I want you to do everything that you possibly can to be like me as a high jumper, right? I'm not, I can't jump high. I used to be, I remember one time I touched the thing that holds the net on. Y'all know, like some people are like, can you touch rim? I used to gauge how I could touch a 10-foot goal, whether I could touch the thing that holds the net on. That was like an inch shorter. So I couldn't jump. But you think about people that are high jumpers, right? And so they lift the bar up and they, they run and jump over. And there comes to a point where really it doesn't matter how much you train. It doesn't matter how many drills you do or how many things that you take. You will reach a maximum point where you can't jump any higher. You will reach a maximum point as a runner where you can't run any faster. You can train and train. Maybe it's just age, you know, takes a toll on you or, or your body wear and tear. But there will come a point, and, and here's what he's saying. I want you to be at this point right here. I want you to be closer to me than you've ever been before. I want you to be more mature and complete than you ever have before. Now, I don't want you to get caught up in you know, because we can look at the curve, like, you know, what happens after they're at the peak, you know, then it's a down, downward climb. Like, I understand, you know, the physical, but in the spiritual sense of it, he's saying, I want you to be at the top. I want you to be like me. And this is what he tells his disciples. But here's the thing, becoming perfect, being perfect, being complete, it takes time, doesn't it? I mean, we can look at an analogy of, of a tree. Some of you, you know, planted trees in your yard, when you plant a tree, a baby tree, one year later, what do you come back and expect? Not a 10-year-old tree. You expect a one-year-old tree, right? The same is true, you know, for any other thing. You expect what the time, the lifespan is on that. I mean, after 25 years of being a Christian, you shouldn't come back and expect an infant in Christ, right? Because that's what Paul talks a lot about. You don't expect... And a, a baby still in Christ. He actually says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. He says, I fed you with milk and not solid food. For, now, for until now you were not able to receive 
what I gave you. And even now, you're still not able. He's like, and, and here, it, time has passed. You're supposed to have grown up. You're supposed to have matured. You're supposed to be becoming more complete. And here we are, and you're still the same. You're still an infant, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behave, behaving like men? Like, you're supposed to be past this. You are still an infant. Now, for those of you, I think we can all identify this, an infant, a baby, breastfeeding is cute. A 30-year-old breastfeeding is wrong. Y'all didn't know whether they laughed at it or not. <laughs> and that's what he's saying. He's like, you know, you're, you're growing up, you're supposed to be old, but you're still acting like an infant. Not much has changed in your walk with Christ. The goal is maturity. The goal is completion. And you're just kind of going through the motions. We are called to be mature, to be complete. But many of us are content with where we are, right? If I asked you today, what does a perfect acorn look like? Right, just in your mind. What does a perfect acorn look like? Just picture that for a second. I'll tell you what it's not. A perfect acorn is not the largest acorn on the tree. A perfect acorn is not the most beautiful acorn. It's not the most juicy and it's not the one that has the prettiest color. It's not even the one that has the perfect cap on top of it. It's not the first one that falls off the tree. So what does a perfect acorn look like? A perfect acorn looks like a fully grown, healthy oak tree. Because that is what it was designed to be. That was the purpose when the acorn was made, is for it to become a fully grown and mature tree and the same is true for us you and I were designed by God to be like his son and to be mature and complete not sinless not without flaws which is good news for me and it's good news for you right Jesus was perfect for you and me so that we don't have to be he paid the penalty he came he lived the perfect life so that you and I don't have to and Jesus came to earth not so much to show us what to do, but to do it for us so that we don't have to have death. He paid the penalty of sin for you and for me. He suffered that punishment so we don't have to. And here's the good news. He doesn't demand that we pay him back. Isn't that good news that we don't have to pay that penalty back? And so Hebrews, and, and it, the Bible doesn't say, many people think it was Paul that wrote Hebrews Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, we have it up here so you don't have to flip. It says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered, just like, you know, we're human, we learn from our struggles and the things that we suffer in. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Jesus came to be perfect so that you don't have to be. He came to be sinless so that you don't have to be. Now, we don't just disregard and dismiss that. We, we are supposed to strive with everything that we have to turn away from our old ways. But he did it so we don't have to be. And then in chapter 10, verse 14, it says, For by one sacrifice he made, he has made perfect forever all those who are being made holy. He's made it perfect for you and I forever. 
God was perfect for you so that we don't have to be. God was sinless for you so that we don't have to be. And because of his sacrifice, he has made perfect forever all who are being holy because there's nothing perfect about us. The only thing that is perfect inside of you is Jesus Christ, if you know him. That is the only thing that is perfect for you. I brought this banana. My, my daughter, she eats a banana every morning. She just loves bananas. And, and I was just thinking about this. You know, many of you buy the bananas at, at this stage or, or some of you buy them, you know, when they're green. But there is a like a perfect time to eat a banana, right? I mean, think about it. You don't want to eat it when it's green. It's kind of hard. The, the, the skin, little sticks pulling it off and the banana is kind of crunchy. But then it starts having the brown spots on it, right? It gets to the point where it's, it's, it's on the decline. It's at, there's that just peak time where, oh, it's just luscious. It's perfect. It's ripe. It's, you tear it off and it's like the perfect banana. And that could be said for, you know, an apple or, or watermelon or whatever that looks like. But God is like, you know what? I want you to be at that place where you are closer to me than you've ever been before. And then the next day, I want you to be so in love with me that you're closer to me that day. And then the next day, and it's just, it never ends. Because your hunger and your desire for me, for my word, to be like me, for wisdom. He's like, that's what I want you to be. When I look at perfect, when I look at mature, when I look at complete, that's my desire, that's my goal for you. And so in, in this passage of scripture, Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Jesus is telling disciples this. I want you to have the mind, the very mind of Christ, because if we were to look at that, really, if we just had the mind of Christ, everything would be fine. Like our world, if everybody had the mind of Christ, what would, what would America look like today? The love, no murder, no shame. If we just had the mind of Christ, what would our town, what would our church look like? When we get to a place when we can love our neighbor and pray for those who persecute us, we're on the road to really becoming like Jesus. We are on our way to maturity and we are on our way to completion. And so for me, going back to the beginning, I have a hard time again with instructions and books, right? And God's given us the instructions and the directions in his word for us to follow. And some of us choose to take the bowling ball and throw it in two lanes over and, and completely intentionally just won't turn away, unrepentant, just live our lives and ignore as though the instruction books don't even exist. And God's saying, look, I've given you everything you need to know right here. I've given you the books and it's got all the answers that you need to know. It's got the answers for marriage, it's got your answers for your finances, it's got answers for raising your kids, it's got answers for being freed from sin, it's got answers from how you uh, talk and how you think. I've got all the answers in that booklet if you will just read it, if you will just follow it, if you will just obey what it says. 
Because here's the thing, there are no shortcuts. There are no loopholes. There's no uh, backdoor route to becoming perfect. It's work. He's saying, know me, know my father. Think like I think, love like I love, serve like I serve, forgive like I forgave and follow my example. See, God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He took care of that for you, but he does expect every single one of us to grow up and be mature and strive for completion. 